Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I have with me today as my special guest, Elizabeth Holman, president of the Holman Group, which is a managed behavioral health care provider and an employee assistance program or an EAP program, as we often call it, based out of West Hills, California, which is in Los Angeles County, for those of you that may not be as familiar. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, thank you for having me, Dorothy. Oh, you're very much welcome. I'm really happy that you were able to do this. Uh, As I mentioned to you pre-podcast, we've done a few uh, podcast episodes this season on the mental health impact of uh, uh, things like COVID-19. And I thought, you know, now that we're starting to come out of this pandemic, I want to uh, address it again. So I'm really happy that you were able to join us here today. Uh, Just for some background, the Holman Group has been around for quite some time. And I know this because our firm has used the Holman Group for decades now, uh, as as we are an insurance agency and uh, an employee benefits consulting firm. But can you tell our listeners, how did the Holman Group get started and how long have you been in business? We've been in business uh, since 1979, so about 43, 44 years, and we got started by uh, my parents. They're the founders, and basically, uh, they wanted to make a difference in people's lives and, you know, give back to the community. So, you know, they started the company. There really wasn't any such thing as an employee assistance program back in 1979. It was more of a drug and alcohol uh, geared awareness and support in the workplace, and then it just grew from there. Right, right. Yeah, like I said, though, we've been using you for at least at least 25 years, maybe 30 years, something like that. So you guys were one of the originals that I was aware of, of course, and, and we've been using you fairly exclusively since then. Um, for those of you that may not be as familiar to what an EAP program is all about, can you explain to us just what an EAP program does in general? Yes. So an employee assistance program is geared to be an independent resource for employees and employers can use it as well um, from a management perspective. And basically it has a set of free sessions and it can be three, five, six, eight, 10. And basically uh, resources, legal financial referrals, community resources, a way to help the employee and their family, uh, you know, help confidentially, don't have to use counseling in the medical plan, et cetera. Yes. And you're also a behavioral health care provider. Can you tell us more about that and the types of services that, you know, behavioral health providers, such as the Holman Group, what types of services you offer? Uh, Basically, um, we offer inpatient detox, uh, help for mental health, harm to self or others, Um, residential treatment, partial hospital, intensive outpatient. So we carve out of the medical plan or are a writer or wraparound plan. And from there, um, you know, we really just help the employee. They don't have to go to their medical plan benefit at all if they don't want to. And uh, it's really a great way for early intervention, helping support somebody, helping them pick facilities, helping uh, them go into a treatment program on the weekend 
or in the evenings or even on a holiday. So we provide that extra level of service and we help really steer their treatment into constant step-down care to get them back at home with their families and back on the job as quickly as possible. Yes, and I'm sure that's what a lot of employers like when they bring on an EAP program because they want to get their employees back to work, of course. So that's a nice bit of background to frame our discussion today. The primary reason that I wanted to have you on the podcast, as I mentioned earlier, is because of the importance of services like yours in times of crisis, in times of stress, in times of non-normalcy, for lack of a better word. Uh, We're hoping to get closer to a post-COVID-19 world now, two years later. And, you know, now we have vaccines available. We have several treatments available. People aren't staying in the hospital as long, aren't going into the hospital as often. However, let's go back a couple of years. Let's go back to the beginning of COVID-19, March 2020. I remember that like it was yesterday, literally. Suddenly, it seemed like the entire world shut down with no notice. This unknown illness, this condition we now call COVID-19 happened, and people didn't know what to do. Everything stopped. We went into lockdown. People lost their jobs. Everyone was stressed. People were experiencing isolation like they've never seen before. And at the beginning, What was it like for services like yours with an EAP program? I know there was anxiety, there was fear, there was frustration and so much more. You know, one day people were in school, people were at work, and then the next day the governor declared this statewide lockdown and people were sent home and wondering what are they supposed to do now? So tell us a little bit about what the Holman Group saw in those early months. And I know I said a lot of things here, so I'll kind of break it down uh, with some of the points that I mentioned. What was it like in the beginning in 2020? In 2020, um, you know, we had just finished our disaster recovery plan um, the summer before, and we actually were purchasing laptops to get ready in case of a disaster. So we had just purchased 35 laptops in case we had to go remote for a disaster. And then what happened? (laughs) We actually had to use those laptops for the first time in our career and we were prepared and our phone system was able to have our staff have a call center from home. We sent everybody home immediately and enacted our disaster recovery plan, which is you know, really mind boggling if you know everything was sold out at that time. You couldn't really get printers or laptops. Does that sound familiar? Oh yeah, it sounds very familiar. And also just the fact that you were talking about doing a disaster recovery plan, of course, as you know, I'm a HIPAA privacy and security consultant. So, you know, that to me is like, good for you. Yay. And who would have known that that simply doing what you're supposed to be doing, uh, having a disaster recovery program, uh, how that would lead into something like this and allow you to, you know, service your customers even greater. I, I think that's a great story. I wasn't aware of that. I think that's phenomenal that that happened. That timing was excellent. It was wonderful. We do it actually every July. We've, you know, done it for the last couple of years as we were um, increasing our security and, you know, really just being more in compliance. Um, even though we don't have the NIST security, um, we were going towards how could we be in compliance with the NIST standards um, for HIPAA security and um, what we do in healthcare, mental health. And we just, you know, over the years, we're kind of ramping up our compliance year by year by year. And some healthcare partners that we do business with over the years have said, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. So as they were more aware, they were bringing us along with them because we were partnering with health plans in addition to employer groups. And so as you can imagine, the standard is a lot higher. 
Yeah. Yes, it really is. Well, what were you able to do to help people that were struggling at this time in the very beginning? Um, you know, our, just our usual services, just being there for people. What we found in the beginning was our crisis hotline. So we have a 24-7, 365 crisis hotline. And in the beginning, people just wanted to talk. They didn't really want a counseling session. They didn't want to make an appointment. They just wanted somebody to answer the phone when they were figuring out, oh my gosh, I have no childcare. I have to leave my job. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to pay my rent? Now I have to, you know, maybe have multiple generations all living under the same roof. Maybe we have to give up an apartment or a home. Maybe I have to think about early retirement. I mean, there was all these things, families with one car, families with no car. You know, as you can imagine, we cover, you know, all walks of life from children all the way to seniors. And it was just, what are we going to do? And then we can't see people for birthdays or for um, the holidays coming up for Father's Day, Mother's Day, Fourth of July. And people were like, okay, how do we have a virtual celebration? And I personally had a couple Zoom holidays with some family members, you know, who never really used technology that just really, we all got on Zoom and we had the virtual celebration and it was really neat. I was like, well, we can do this from now on if we want to, because we all live in different parts of the country. Yeah. So that's, I'd say the crisis, the stress, the anxiety, how am I going to survive? How am I going to make a home office? How am I going to make a, an area for my child to go to school online? I mean, I have two kids that were at the time in, uh, I think, fifth grade, end of fifth grade, and we had to figure out you know, how we were going to work and go to school at the same time. Yeah. And you weren't alone. Everybody in the whole world was doing the same thing. And it was very stressful. Uh, just trying to figure out, you know, the basic needs, as, as you mentioned, was very, very difficult. And employers, uh, employers were basically freaking out about this too, because they had to deal with the same thing. They had to figure out how their employees were going to be able to handle dealing with their kids at home and doing work and being productive. And, and I think a lot of them have learned that with, you know, assistance, uh, people like yourselves, uh, groups like yourselves, they could do that. But I think it was a real struggle for employers at the beginning. And, and uh, you know, the Holman Group and other types of EAP programs and, you know, organizations like yours, I think you guys had a, a, a great role in this and helping those, because I know my clients were very happy to have you know you guys available at that time so first of all I want to say thank you to you and your and your team for that mm -hmm. because it was great I want to know a little bit more about the education and the experience uh, of people that are offering this assistance to people I'm going to assume that there are different levels of education and experience needed depending on what services that you're offering when these people call in do they deal with doctors nurses therapists I mean who provides the services and you know I'm sure there's a variance depending on the type of need. Can you kind of walk us through that? Yes, uh, that's a great question, Dorothy. Thank you. So when they're speaking on the crisis hotline, they have to be licensed counselors or they can be registered associate counselors. So those are the two licensures. They're a minimum of a master's level. The registered associates are supervised by licensed counselors at our office. They have regular supervision and the um, licensed counselors, you know, our, our, our staff members. We also have some network counselors for overflow. And 
you know, it, it's really a wonderful service because they can speak for 15 minutes or they can speak for three hours. The regular call center are a minimum of bachelor's degree in a sociology, social science, psychology field. And they are supervised, they're trained for 30 days, then they go on live calls and they're trained to listen to crying, you know, verbal cues. And anybody that wants to speak to a crisis counselor can do that. When it's not COVID, it's really only about 1% of the population that need to speak to a crisis counselor. It went up to maybe two or 3% at the beginning of COVID. And, you know, a lot of people though will call at night um, sometimes and just say, you know, I'm looking into counseling. I want to hear about the benefits, but I tell people it's like calling your dentist or your doctor. Can you make an appointment at 10 o'clock at night, typically with your doctor or dentist? And people say, well, no, but they do have a hotline, right? You can leave a message. There's a doctor's answering service. If you're in crisis and it's not something you call 911, you can call, you know, the emergency line. And it's really pediatricians have that, you know, they have a nurse line or they have a doctor line. So even though we have nurses and doctors on staff, they're there really for behind the scenes, helping determine if somebody needs to go into a hospital, if somebody needs to stay multiple days in a hospital, what we call medical necessity, determining if somebody has to have that level of care, that's really what the doctors and nurses are for. Most people are calling to, what are my benefits? Can I you know, make an appointment? I'm looking for this type of counselor. And so we're different in that we give them a list of names only if they request it. That's not our standard operating procedure. What we do is they say, I want a religion, I want a language, I want a male-female counselor, you know, I want somebody who has teenage kids. So we try to customize and match and find a therapist who has an opening for them. The only challenge right now is that most people are virtual and there's only about 10% of the counselors that will do face-to-face. And we're finding that members have to travel a little further away. It was about 15 miles or 30 minutes prior um, to COVID. And now people have to travel, you know, an extra five miles, 10 miles for that face-to-face appointment. Let's come back to that. You hit on a couple of things that I was going to ask you about. Obviously, these types of calls can come in 24 hours a day. So, I mean, how much of your call activity is, you know, late in the evening, middle of the night type of thing, early, early in the morning versus how much of it is during regular office hours? Are you guys finding that it, you guys get most of the off hours, off office hours, I guess, uh, types of calls, and then maybe their regular healthcare providers might get them during the middle of the day? Or, or what, it, what is it that you, you've seen there? Um, basically, what we're seeing is most people call during the day. And, um, you know, the nighttime calls are not that often. You know, in the beginning during COVID, I'd say it was pretty much evenly distributed. People who call in, I'd say lunch breaks, um, maybe right after three o'clock. And there aren't that many calls as far as, um, it's hard to say if if we get overflow, you know, compared to other professionals. Um, but it seems like we're busy all the time, but I would say the lunch hour, like 11 to one people do definitely take advantage of the lunch hour to call us. Okay. And you also mentioned, you know, virtual visits. 
Is it now mostly through COVID? Uh, sounds like it's moved a lot more towards virtual. But tell us about, you know, how telemedicine has played a part in this since the pandemic, or a greater part, I should say. You know, um, telehealth and telemedicine. So for us, telehealth is for the counselors. That would be your virtual appointment. The telemedicine for us, we only deliver psychiatry appointments via telemedicine. And the difference is we have staff members on our staff that actually can do telehealth appointments. Um, we use a HIPAA encrypted uh, program. We actually use um, a really good program that's easy. It has an app that the member can download or they can just click a link. And you know, basically the um, telemedicine is for our um, psychiatrists in our network and they use their own platform. So we don't have psychiatrists that direct practice. Again, they're behind the scenes. But we have implemented, in addition to our network, staff for, for telehealth. And are you seeing more of it now than you were prior to 2020 on the, on the you know, telehealth side and telemedicine side? Um, we are. We're seeing an increased comfort, um, it really being the standard. Um, in the beginning, there was no choice, of course, if they wanted services, but they wanted to wait, hoping that the face-to-face -face would open up. And now they realize that this is actually more convenient, unless, of course, it's children or teenagers, uh, maybe seniors. That hasn't changed with the need for face-to-face. -face. Yeah, that's what we've seen, too, all around with telehealth and telemedicine. Uh, if someone needs sessions with a therapist, is there – you mentioned this briefly in the beginning, but I want to come back to it because I think it's important for people to understand. Is there a number of sessions limited by year, by type of condition, et cetera? I mean, how do this number of sessions work with an employer who, who, who brings on an employee assistance program? Thank you for asking that. I wanted to just briefly touch on the fact that prior to COVID, people were putting in three and five session employee assistance programs. That was the norm. That was the model that people could afford and that people felt from their level of understanding of mental health of what, what they needed because they thought, oh, people can just go to the medical plan, pay their copay. You know, I'm putting in this benefit. This is what I'm interested in. What we found, and you might have seen in the news, um, some employers really prioritizing mental health during COVID, realizing that people were isolated, for example. I know that there's two very large employers that actually put in, um, in the news, you know, they weren't our clients, it's just an article that I read, they put in a seven and a 20 session model. And they're, you know, Fortune 500 type companies that are always in the news. We also saw that people were increasing their benefits with us during COVID. They were making, uh, if they had a three, they went up to a five or a six. If they had a five or a six, they were going up to an eight or a 10. And really, you can have an unlimited benefit. You can have what's called an outpatient rider. And you can have an unlimited number of outpatient sessions. You can cover psychiatry. You can cover autism. You can cover whatever you want and supplement your medical plan or you know, for some people, um, you know, they carve the whole thing out. And if they have a full carve out, and whether they're self-funded or at risk, you know, with us, they can have whatever they want. And so things have really, with mental health parity um, that was passed last year, January 1st, it's called SB 855. And a lot of people in our industry have heard of that, but people listening, you know, may have heard a little bit about mental health parity 
And basically what it has done is say, if you are able to go to the doctor whenever you want, and nobody's giving you an authorization for your family doctor, we're gonna treat the mental health visit the same way. We don't wanna to have to have this authorization in place or any barriers for you to go get help. And so they're fine tuning the law as we speak. They're still reinterpreting, there's still discussion. And so basically, if you have an outpatient benefit, you should be getting 52 visits for 52 weeks in a year. And so it should be unlimited. Most people go once a week for counseling. There's another law coming out July 1st that says your follow-up visits should be every 10 business days. Your initial visit should be 10 business days. So we already follow that where you have to have your first visit scheduled in at least 10 business days. So I just wanted to touch on that, that if people are having a hard time, even with their medical plans, that they can speak to their insurance broker, their agent, you know, or they can... Uh, call the health plan and say, you know, I, I'd like help getting a faster appointment. Yeah. Well, the Mental Health Parity Act has been around for a long time. As you're talking about the newer stuff, those are add, add-ons to the existing law that you were talking about. But a lot of plans, another thing that you hit on, some, a lot of self-funded plans, some of my clients included, they completely carved out mental health benefits because of the Mental Health Parity Act many years ago. Uh, so, you know, they those companies may rely more on a company like an EAP program to provide some sort of services, you know, to their employees. I want to come back to if, if someone has a condition and let's say they have six visits or seven visits or whatever they have in their package, uh, is it seven visits all throughout the whole year or is it seven visits related to that particular condition? That's, you know, really an important point that you bring up, Dorothy. A lot of EAPs are written differently, okay? Each plan is different. Some plans will have the caveat of up to X number of sessions. So they'll say we're up to six or we're up to seven. You have to really pay attention to the language. Also, you need to look at the benefit summary or the brochure. If you have an EAP that doesn't say you get seven sessions, but you think that's what you're buying in the quote, you're not gonna get seven sessions they're gonna assess you for three sessions. So you wanna see language if you're looking to purchase a seven session, for example, that says seven sessions per problem or per incident per benefit year. And is it covering the household or is it covering the individual? And so that is, there's some really fine nuances that unless you're in the mental health field or you are an expert like you are, and you've seen employee assistance program language over the years, the richest plan out there is really, you know, a seven session, for example, since we're using that model, and it's per individual, and it's per incident or per problem per benefit year. And that means two adults, three adults in the house don't have to share the seven sessions. They can all have the same problem and have seven sessions each. That's the richest benefit out there. The next most common benefit, even though it's not the richest, is seven sessions per incident per household unit. That means seven sessions for one adult, they dealt with loss of a family member. After the seven sessions are completed, a new issue pops up, they're dealing with stress or anxiety on returning to work. After COVID, after being at home, now they're being asked to come back to work. 
seven sessions on that new issue that's unrelated to the first issue. Thank you for clarifying that. I was aware of that because obviously we, we've worked with you, but I wanted to bring that up because a lot of people aren't aware that you can customize a plan like this and that and it's a lot more extensive than what people might think. Uh, so I wanted to bring that up. Thank you. So let's talk more about something we, we talked briefly about uh, a moment ago. Um, since COVID, I mean, have you seen your employer clients increase uh, in their utilization uh, since 2020? I mean, let's look at just 2020 alone for to start with. Did the existing clients that you have at that time, did utilization go through the roof? You know, I, I wish I could say it did. It's starting to increase now. What went through the roof were the crisis calls that I mentioned in the very beginning. So we saw an increased utilization and crisis calls in the beginning. And we didn't see, even though there was a need for mental health access, we didn't see the immediate uh, ramp up or increase in services because people, if you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs, people were looking for shelter, they were looking for toilet paper, they were looking for canned goods, Lysol wipes. People were not focused on going to the doctor or going to the mental health counselor. That's true. I, I, that, that's true. I was one of the many people being in line at, at Target at uh, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning because I heard that they still had toilet paper and I wanted to make sure to get some because I was completely out in my cabinet at my home. So I was one of those people. I get it. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's absolutely true. You know, we're, we've stepped away from it for almost two years. We've kind of almost forgotten about how difficult it was at that time, but please continue. Yes. So as people were figuring out, how am I going to have a desk for my kid? We don't have a desk in the house. How am I going to get internet connection? We previously didn't have internet. How am I going to work and take care of my kid at the same time and help them with their homework and help them make sure they focus on the school lesson? So as people were really focused on that, we really didn't see Increase in usage until 2021, believe it or not. So we saw a gradual increase over time. And it really wasn't surprising because whenever there is an emergency or an accident, people delay something that they would have seen as a luxury, if that makes sense. Oh, it does make sense. Thank you. <laughs> it does make sense. Well, you kind of talked about a lot of them, but what were the most common types of assistance that you provided during the initial part of the lockdown? So it was, you know, anxiety of the unknown, helping people with immediate coping skills on how to really focus on the here and now. What are my needs for today? What are my needs for tomorrow? Instead of saying, will I ever go back to see my family? Will I ever have to not wear a mask? I can't breathe very well. Will I ever uh, be able to keep my house clean? I'm feeling overwhelmed and the laundry's piling up and you know, what I tell people, even for myself, is that you really decide what's important. You can't have it all. We're kind of juggling balls at that time in our lives. And things that we would have done, maybe we would have gone to the gym regularly and we didn't have any equipment at home. A lot of us, you know, that were interested, you know, might have started walking outside or riding a bike or looking for online exercise videos or free apps. 
Yeah, if you, yeah. Could, if you could even find a bike in a bike store if you didn't have one because they were completely sold out in no time at all. I know that for a fact, but yeah, you're right. A lot more people outside because I know myself, I couldn't wait to get outside to walk my dogs just to be out in the fresh air and to be outside of my home because I was, you know, confined to my home and, and uh, I'm a pretty social person. That was That was difficult. That was difficult. It was difficult for a lot of our clients. And so we had to, like everybody else, you know, what can you use as household items for exercise? You can use the laundry detergent or, you know, a big liter bottle or some bottle of water. You can, you know, put things in a backpack. So we were actually going back to basics and we were helping people with their regular routine that they had prior to COVID figure out how to do it in a new and creative way. So that's part of what we were doing. People were stressed financially. You know, they couldn't pay their utility bills or they couldn't pay their rent or, you know, they were afraid of getting evicted until that was uh, settled down. People uh, couldn't find a car or maybe somebody had needed uh, to get their car repaired or were thinking of purchasing a new car. And so any plans you would have had Vacations were canceled, travel was canceled, uh, conferences were canceled. Some people, you know, out there make a living speaking at conferences. So, you know, everything was reinvented and some people weren't very good at technology and were afraid of technology. So, you know, I think that we were dealing with just fears in general, anxiety of the unknown and having to help people put their feet on the ground, take a deep breath, and, and learn how to just get through the day, how to get through dinner. Yeah, for sure. I know, luckily, we already had our podcast up and running before COVID. Um, I was happy that I had my podcast because I used to do a lot of, I'm one of those people that did a lot of public speaking. I did a lot of seminars and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of speaking in front of large groups that was cut to, you know, webinars. And at first they did nothing because they didn't know how, they didn't know what to do with them and so forth. So yeah, I was happy that I had that platform that I could educate. I wrote a lot of articles during that time. So I had to kind of pivot. I've always written a lot. That's been my, you know, it's always been my background, but I found myself writing a lot more because I had to research so much because of all the new laws that were coming out related to COVID legislation. And, and I had I had the availability of, of putting the podcast out. So yeah, a lot of people had to pivot, as you said, and, and figure out what they could do. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the certain types of populations that had maybe the higher level concerns during this time, uh, during COVID. I mean, were there certain populations with higher needs than others? Definitely. Um, you know, we deal with different populations, like I mentioned, um, you know, certain clients um, that maybe were nonprofits or had a different population that we served. They were dealing with you know, different things, not being able to see their clients on a regular basis and feeling a little depressed because they couldn't go out in the field and see their clients. Um, some of the healthcare individuals um, really needed our support face-to-face -face in the beginning because they were still seeing the public and us when we were doing crisis debriefings, for example, even though we switched to virtual, some of our healthcare clients said, you know, we'll put you in a conference room, um, you know, we'll keep you away from being exposed to COVID. But in the early days when we were doing crisis debriefings, it was a challenge to convince our therapists in our network to go out and help our clients, especially the healthcare workers that were afraid if they were ever going to see their kids again, were they going to see their families again? Were they going to get sick and die? I mean, it was just, I, I'd have to say of all the populations we serve, probably the first responders, 
um, healthcare and law enforcement individuals were the most impacted and we had to really get creative on how to help them. Yes, and thanks heaven, people like yourselves, groups like yourselves were able to do that because obviously we all needed them. Uh, what types of communications did you provide as an EAP provider to you know your employer clients during COVID to help the employees out, to let the families know that you're there and that you know you can do certain things to help them? I mean, how did you get the word out during this time? So um, luckily, we had a pretty good communication plan prior to COVID that we followed along the same plan that employers were used to. So we do um, a variety of things. We did um, special updates and alerts. So already, whenever there's a tornado, earthquake, flood, natural disaster, we already have a special update template where we put together resources in the community. And sometimes clients will ask us to put client-specific resources in a flyer for them, for their county or things that their um, workplace is using. So we did our special update for people. We told them that, you know, the doors are open, um, so to speak. We're in business. We're available. And we told them that our therapist had quickly pivoted to, you know, at the time it was pre-HIPAA, meaning they, they let it loose, the communication, without really following HIPAA guidelines. So they were using FaceTime, WhatsApp. Um, the therapists were delivering sessions on the phone. So we let them know that it's really between you and your therapist to come up with a virtual way to get your sessions done. So we communicated that way in the beginning through flyers, phone calls, emails. And then we started catering our webinars and we have weekly webinars that we post in our library and started gearing all of those towards COVID. And so uh, more and more of our webinars were, you know, even though we had the regular topics on exercise or eating, they were geared towards being at home during COVID you know, and, and how to be creative or how to exercise, like I mentioned earlier, using household items. Right. Well, what about employers that just didn't know what to do to help their employees? They, they wanted to help them cope. Um, you know, HR departments generally have been assigned to do that and want to do that because it's in their nature. It's what they do. Uh, but they're used to being surrounded by employees all the time themselves. Human resources people are generally very social. They want to be in the middle of everyone. They want to be able to have hands-on, you know, more of the touchy-feely kind of communication. And all of a sudden, they're working from home, uh, and they're stressed out as well. So you've got your employees stressed out. You've got your HR department stressed out. You've got everybody stressed out, and they're all afraid they can't do their jobs effectively. Were you, as an EAP program, able to reach out to those HR teams and assist them, and if so, how? You know, we really were um, where we could get a hold of them. So a lot of HR actually went home, and maybe they weren't checking their email or they didn't have their email set up yet. So, you know, it was really, um, we had had a relationship with a handful of HR folks that said, you know, here's my cell phone, you know, please call me here, or I'm going to have my office set up next week at home, or I'm only checking my email once a week. So it was really difficult in the beginning. I'm glad that you're asking about this. And you know, they really didn't have a, a great way in the beginning of getting in touch with employees either, especially if, you know, maybe they had to do a layoff, maybe they had to close their doors temporarily. So we were really dealing with a variety of situations. Sometimes they said, you know, just send it in the mail, you know, kind of an old fashioned way of communicating, you know, send us some flyers in the mail because yeah. 
we had to do that. Pony Express. Yeah, the Pony Express. We had to go back to mail delivery and people were actually looking forward to receiving mail, you know, in their in their mailbox because, again, it was it was putting them in contact with the outside world. I, 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 I know exactly what you're saying. I get it. Yeah, it was really um, we had to keep track of who we could communicate with how. And, you know, luckily they all knew how to go to our website and they had our, you know, username and password. So we tried to post a lot of it there, knowing that they may not pick it up through their email or regular mail. Yeah. So did sales, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, early on about utilization, but let's talk about like the sales of EAP programs. Did sales go up during 2020 and 2021? I'm wondering if employers who maybe didn't have an EAP program realized they should have one and started putting them into place uh, at that time. Um, what was, what was this, what was the sales side of this like? So we did see an increase in 2020 uh, towards the end of 2020. And we did see a little bit of an increase um, at the beginning of 2021. On the flip side, we did see, unfortunately, some people closing their doors. We also saw people downsizing. So we had some entertainment and casino clients, for example, um, hospitality clients that had to temporarily lay off their staff and said, you know, we're going to discontinue the program. We're going to extend it to people for a couple months, you know, past their termination date um, and, and continue to pay for it. And um, it was kind of a mixed situation. And I think today people are realizing because of what you might have heard of the great um, resignation that's been happening around that people are looking to do a side hustle or work from home permanently or really look at, um, you know, do I like the environment? Do I agree with the benefits package? Am I making a difference in a contribution? And, um, you know, I think I just saw somewhere that one of the fast food chains and retail restaurants were increasing, you know, another $3 recently uh, for their minimum uh, wage. And so, you know, what we're communicating to people is that, you know, an employee assistance program is the minimum that you need to do to have a competitive benefits package. And while salary is important, it helps really put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, that you actually care about your employees and you want a confidential way to give them resources and help. Yeah. And now that we have vaccines and treatments, you know, has the need, the want uh, slowed down for an EAP program or has it stayed the same or has it continued to increase? I think I know the answer to that, but I just want to see if anybody uh, out there, I'm, I'm assuming people out there may not know the answer to that. You know, it's a steady increase believe it or not, um, you know, while you're still going to have people looking for something that's free or looking for um, what other ways can I deliver this? I'm still cutting my budget. There are enough people out there that realize that they just can't do this alone because really the EAP is an extension of HR. It helps so that EAP can be anonymous, confidential, I can refer people to the program. I can give management or su support for employee issues on the job. If somebody's crying, if somebody can't pay their bills, I can send them to EAP for financial, legal counseling. It's not just mental health. It's how do I manage my life? How do I get referrals for childcare, for elder care, you know, to really just help me get my household back up and running, or maybe I'm going to be graduating college and running a household for the first time, you know, how do I get 
on my feet so that I can move out of my parents' home, so to speak. So, you know, I, I'd say if it's going to continue to increase and COVID and the pandemic just highlighted something that already was there and made us focus on it. We've always had mental health issues. We've always had a need for these services. I think it's become more of a household name for maybe another 25% of the population. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that. So now that we're sort of moving out of the pandemic, hopefully, uh, <laughs> employers are, are dealing with that now. How do I move out of this? You know, what type of assistance can an EAP program, you know, provide that that allows employers and helps employers, you know, kind of focus their energies now that we're leaving the pandemic era, getting back into, you know, a normal, more normal world, um, what is it that an EAP program can help them with there? So trying to get back into a normal world, I would say, you know, really looking at resilience. And so um, what we're focusing on now is the return to work and the hybrid work and how to engage and how to have good communication with your teams, how to have, uh, you know, positive reinforcement with your team, even if you're somebody that grew up maybe not getting a lot of compliments or you know you may not have the same point of reference but realizing that how we're going to succeed is stepping into a leadership and a mentoring role you know not coddling you know not enabling but how to really help set healthy boundaries and how to really realize that I need to wake up and pay attention to everything around me what I said to somebody the other day is about even myself as a leader, as president of my own organization, you know, I better know by 12 o'clock what's happening in my company. I better know if we have somebody that called in sick in the call center, because that could affect our, you know, answering of the calls. I better know, you know, if uh, we have a full caseload and we're delivering telehealth to our clients, I better know if we need to enhance our network, you know, in a certain city or county. So you know, no later than five o'clock that day, I must know about the key issues. And you as HR, as business owners out there, who are your partners? If you don't know, then go get partners like Dorothy, you know, like our licensed brokers and agents, you know, everybody has an accountant, right? Everybody is concerned about being audited and taxes. But how many people, you know, if you were to be audited for you know, mental health support and fairness and saying that, you know, if anybody is thinking about suicide, even within your organization, that you would be confident that you have the tools and resources. Well, think of it more important than that audit that probably will never happen. You know, most businesses don't get audited if they're doing the right thing. You know, I would just encourage people to do the right thing, even if nobody's looking and paying attention, even if it's not to bring on new talent, do it because it feels good to help other people. And we want to really teach people how to fish instead of solving all their problems for them and, and giving them fish. Right. And serving it, serving their dinner on a, on a silver platter. Correct. <laughs> I hear you. What message would you like to give employees of employers that offer an EAP program and may not use it maybe out of fear, maybe out of embarrassment, you know, or just lack of understanding of what an EAP does? I would tell everybody that you're leaving money on the table. You really are. That first of all, it is confidential by law. Any reporting that's given to your employer is very generic. It is number of people, 
and you know the issues that they're calling in for, whether it's stress, anxiety, family communication, et cetera. So the reporting is very generic. By law, they're not allowed to give your name and it doesn't go in your record. And the companies are independent. You know, they really have nothing to do with one another, just like your medical or your dental. You know, your employer doesn't know that you went to the dentist and had a cleaning or a filling. It's, it's the same thing. So just know that there are laws out there that protect you, privacy laws that really make it illegal. Second of all, you're leaving money on the table. If you were to go out and as an employee and you didn't have insurance, it's the sticker shock, you know, that we, I know as Asians, Dorothy and everyone try to really educate their clients about what would the retail cost be of this if you didn't have insurance. Yeah, you might be able to negotiate cash and have a little bit of a discount, but it's, it can be quite expensive and shocking. So a psychologist could run you $200 a session in the community, retail out of pocket, and a marriage and family therapist, a master's level might run you 150 to 180 out of pocket. And so when you're getting three free sessions or five free sessions or 10 free sessions, you multiply that times the master's level rate of 150 or the $200 rate. And that's what you're leaving on the table, that money, and you're not investing in yourself. And think of it as an annual mental health checkup. You're just really going, you go to the doctor for a physical, most people once a year, and you know that that doctor, you know, you're leaving money on the table because first of all, investing in yourself, you are a support for your family, you might bring home a paycheck. And if you're not in the best condition you can be, you know, why would you change the oil in your car? Why would you put air in your tires? You should treat your body, your mind and your body and invest in yourself. And the company is investing in you. And, you know, you, you really need to go see a therapist or talk to somebody, talk to an expert, get an outside independent opinion, you know, before you make any drastic life changes. If you're thinking, you know, that I don't feel good or I'm not myself or I'm, I'm sad for a year after somebody passed away, it doesn't have to go that long and you're not alone. I would tell people you're not alone. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is the confidentiality part of it. I think still people just don't understand how confidential it really is. And I think that's one thing that employers could do perhaps a little bit better job of as explaining to your employees and, and getting that word out that it is 100% confidential. I know we talk about that in open enrollment meetings and so forth, but sometimes people just don't understand that. Um, we talked about it a little bit earlier on, but uh, EAP programs aren't just for mental health uh, and aren't just for crisis assistance. You guys provide a lot of other assistance to plan participants on all sorts of things. Can you tell us about the other types of services that an EAP provider generally provides? So um, some of the things that people may not realize are, you know, communication, relationship, um, issues, just everyday issues that you're going through. I mentioned grief and loss earlier, and it can be for loss of a pet, you know, loss of a pet, for example, something you could schedule an appointment with a counselor um, our pets are part of our families. You know, it would be no different than losing a roommate or a close friend. And um, there's also other issues, you know, stress due to finances, um, legal, you know, immigration, um, going through a divorce, adoption, uh, you know, just looking at um, 
you know, you're thinking of taking on a new job, but you're scared and you really want to, you know, talk about, you know, can I do this? Will my family survive? What sacrifices do I need to make? Parenting, um, for a lot of people, we're competing with technology. Um, kids, teenagers, even adults are on their phones, they're texting, they're playing video games a lot. And, you know, you're concerned. How do I set boundaries for myself, for my family members? And, you know, people use it for a variety of, of issues. And I tell people in a relationship, for example, you're starting to get annoyed if you have a roommate or you live with somebody, you know, the dirty dishes are piling up or the toothpaste lid isn't put on correctly or the laundry is outside the hamper or the toilet paper or paper towel roll is the wrong way. They're putting it the wrong direction. So if these things are really starting to bother you, we talk about when the problem is small and manageable instead of letting it fester and fester and exploding. We want to focus on mental wellness before it gets to mental illness. Right. Well, if you had to name the top three reasons for employers to offer an EAP program, what would those top three reasons be? Uh, I would say stress, anxiety, you know, dealing with overwhelm in the workplace. And really, when you deal with that and give people tools, it enhances performance on the job and helps with presenteeism, uh, resilience. Um, it really helps if people can get through a crisis you know, they have a bank robbery or they have something that affects them at work, instead of having them, you know, go out on an extended period of leave, dealing with the issue, giving them immediate tools and resources to really help them, you know, get back to sleeping well, coming back to work, you know, being there for their family and being a good team member at work. And so, you know, resiliency, um, stress management, enhanced performance at work, and better customer service. If you care about customer service at all, which a lot of businesses out there deal with public, whether it's on the phone or in person, if you want customer service to be maintained or to even get better by putting in a program, an employee assistance program can help people really feel good about themselves and that shows on the other end of the line when they answer the phone or deal with the public. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a few more than three, but that's okay. It was all important stuff. <laughs> what types of employers generally offer EAP programs? Are there particular requirements, you know, industry, size, et cetera? Well, for our company, we go down to 10, 10 lives. That's typically our, our small group where it makes sense to really protect confidentiality. Um, you really don't want to go smaller than that because then pretty much everybody knows uh, who's used the program. If you only have two employees and you see two people used, well, you're violating confidentiality. So um, I'd say any industry is a candidate. Any business is a candidate. Um, there are people, of course, that are drawn to this type of service if they are in the helping profession. You know, maybe they're um, in a high stress job or dealing with public, you know, really anybody's a candidate. We see a lot of um, businesses, believe it or not, lately we've seen an increase in construction and uh, manufacturing type businesses because has anybody noticed the high price of lumber and how it's hard to get anybody to work on your home or your business in terms of construction and building? Well, that took a boom, right, during COVID because everybody said, now I need 
more space in my house. I need to remodel. And so these individuals are now, you know, working nonstop, working overtime, and they've been putting in employee assistance programs for their workers. Well, I know we talked about this earlier, but I want to bring it back because, again, this is one of the most important things about an EAP program, in my opinion. Can we talk a little bit more about how private the use of an EAP plan really is to plan participants? Does the employer offering the program, you know, know who used the program and for what reason? Obviously, in privacy, as, as you mentioned before, privacy is very important to people, and it's one of the reasons they may not want to reach out and ask for help. So can you just kind of touch on that one more time and summarize for us? Yes, there's laws that protect uh, individuals. There's HIPAA and privacy laws. And, you know, nobody will know that you're calling the program unless you threaten to harm yourself or somebody else. So you are protected other than the state laws. You know, most of the people listening will probably be in California. But each state has a law um, that forces somebody to call for help if you can't stabilize the person if they threaten to harm self or others. So again, it's illegal to violate confidentiality. And unless the employee or the individual tells somebody that's really, you know, other than those serious situations, that's the only way it will happen. And, and I know that you guys provide a lot of uh, reports that have a lot of graphics and things, and it's just statistical reports for the most part. It's, you know, the number of participants that saw someone for anxiety versus the number of people that saw something for financial conditions or whatever. Um, they're just statistical numeric and, and graphics for the most part, correct? Correct. And it's, you know, employees versus dependents, you know, five employees, five dependents, three people called for stress three people called for family communication. And that's it. It's very basic information on, you know, did they call for counseling? Did they call for legal referrals? And they want to know, employers do want to know the topics so that they can start gearing seminars and flyers and communication pieces. Okay, so if my group is stressed and I have a high number of people using it for stress, I need to look at, am I giving them too much work? Do or, I or, how do they, or how do they manage their stress better? Right. Exactly. Right. right. Are, are there tools in place? Could they benefit from a stress management workshop? Right. Exactly. So who is eligible for EAP assistance? Is it just the employee or also their family members? Again, you mentioned this before, but I want to kind of, in closing, kind of bring that back home so everyone understands. So each employee assistance program out there is different. Traditionally, the employees only covered people on the medical plan in the olden days. So employees versus dependents. Nowadays, you'll see it extending to household members and to dependents up to age 26 if they're living outside the household. If a dependent is now 30, but they're living in the household, they are covered because they're a household member. Thank you very much for clarifying that. Well, we're about out of time today. I want to thank you so much for being my guest today and sharing so much valuable information with us. If anybody wants to reach out for more information about EAP programs or behavioral health programs in general, or may want to reach out to the Holman Group specifically, how can they do that? So you can reach out um, through our website. There's a contact form. It's holmangroup.com. Um, we're also on social media. If you're ever on LinkedIn, or you're on Instagram, um, you can look for me, Elizabeth Holman. Um, I'm on both places. And, um, you know, please contact us, our phone number 800-321-2843 as well. 
Thank you so much. And it's just been, it's been a real pleasure having you here today. Thanks again. And for everybody else out there listening, please stay safe, stay healthy. And if you need it, please reach out for assistance. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835 or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.